I should always note, acknowledge, and appreciate the opportunity to stand before you, God's word between us. This morning, I want to speak to you with regard to that which is the Christian distinctive. The Christian distinctive. What is, well, what is distinctive? What is the sole uh, realm of Christians? As you think about this question, you may, you may very likely say Christians are a people of faith. In all Christians, there exists faith. Couldn't disagree with that. But perhaps some, some would say church, that all Christians are a part of a church. Some would say Christians are a people who think they're better than you. And in many instances, that might also be true. But thankfully, it's not altogether true. Likewise, there's some that would say the Christian distinctive is baptism. All Christians have been through the waters of baptism. Maybe yes, maybe no. But as we look to God's word this morning, the Bible tells us that the, capital T, capital H, capital E, the, Christian distinctive is the indwelling presence of God. The indwelling presence of God, the Holy Spirit. Just as by grace God in His sovereign will calls and justifies those whom He chooses, so too He sends the Holy Spirit into all those whom he justifies. This is the continuing work of God in those he calls. My, one of my most favorite verses in all of Scripture is Philippians 1.6. For the apostle wrote, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This, by the way, is a good memory verse for anyone who would anticipate ever standing before a congregation to preach in an extemporaneous manner, on the spur of the moment, that is. For this verse contains very, very simply a three-point sermon. There is that which God has done he who began a good work in you, that which God is doing, He will bring it to completion, what He is doing in these days and what He will finish at the day of Jesus Christ. God calls those whom He would save to repentance. He calls to repentance and grants the gift of faith that they would believe. This is where the work begins. 
And certainly we rejoice in the confident assurance that 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 work will come to completion at the day of Jesus Christ when we stand before a righteous and holy God in robes washed white in the blood of the Lamb. But it is to that which is going on today that I want to look. What God has begun, He will surely finish. And what God has begun, He continues in those whom He has called in this very day. For the Christian has not been abandoned by God. It is not a call to salvation that then one is left hanging, so to speak, until some other point in time. As a matter of fact, Jesus said a great deal about the Holy Spirit whom God would send. He called the Holy Spirit the parakletos in the Greek language, parakletos. And in the variety of English translations of the scripture, you will find this term parakletos translated as helper, as advocate, and as comforter. And all three of these are a correct translation. As a matter of fact, the best translation might be helper, advocate, comforter. The Apostle Paul helps us in our understanding when he says the Holy Spirit helps in our weakness, for He is the helper, and that He intercedes for the saints. That is, He is our advocate. And the Apostle says, to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. He is the comforter. The parakletos, the Holy Spirit of God, is all of this. Jesus spoke to his disciples of the Holy Spirit to give them assurance of God's continuing presence with them. As a matter of fact, in Jesus' language, he spoke to them of the Holy Spirit that, that would give them assurance of his continuing presence with them. After Jesus was ascended to the Father and they would see him no more, Jesus said, I will, will come to you. He told them that the Paracletos would be with them forever, and that the Spirit of truth would dwell with them and be in them. This is vital to our understanding of God's intent in the new covenant to maintain a continuous, constant, abiding presence with His people, with His children. The Holy Spirit is not a sometimes God. The Holy Spirit is not a sometimes helper, an on-again, off-again advocate, or a temporary comforter. He is given to believers as a permanent guarantee of salvation in Christ. Paul takes up this encouragement of the saints 
in Romans. Specifically this morning, we're going to look at Romans chapter 8. In the book of Romans, as we have studied on Thursday night and have received such a marvelous blessing in the study of this book, we encounter that Paul, first of all, sets forth the problem, the wrath of God against sin. And he makes very clear that anybody could understand what he means by sin. And so as he set forth the problem very plainly, he likewise sets forth the provision very plainly, that God has sent his Son into the world, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who came to earth, took upon himself the form of man, died on Calvary's cross, was laid in a borrowed tomb, rose again on the third day, and yet ascended unto the Father, from whence he will come again to receive to himself those who are his own. So as the apostle has provided the understanding of the problem that is before us, the problem of sin and encountering the wrath of God, and that this, the wrath of God might be avoided, might be precluded by coming to Jesus Christ in faith, which, by the way, God by His grace gives to a gift, gives as a gift to those whom He calls to repent of sin. When He gets to chapter 7, He kind of lays out what, what are we going to do with this? What are we going to do with this knowledge, with this understanding, with this calling from God? Because we still live in a world where temptation is ever before us. We, it's ever before us because we carry it around with us in the flesh. What, what shall we say then? And he has that wonderful verse. <coughs> Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And then we come to that, then we come to that, that marvelously wonderful beginning of, of Romans chapter 8. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We know what the problem is. We know what the provision is. We know that we are yet encountering the temptations and so very often we fall to those temptations. But there is, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I mentioned last week and kind of my practice, I pretty much have prepared a message for Sunday and I, and I look for, for other sermons from the same text. I, I, I picked one that's a, a, a preacher, if I mentioned his name, most of you would recognize it. And it, it, unfortunately, he, it, what it seems to me is such a common practice to read there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus and then continue to preach a sermon in which he condemns those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, 
most, most unfortunate. But as the apostle has then risen to this, this acme, this, this apex, this height of his writing in the book of Romans that begins in, in Romans chapter 8, 1, he continues that where he lays out that, now certainly if I was a good expository preacher, I would do verse by verse through chapter 8. And we, we might get out of here sometime Tuesday morning. But today, I, 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 if you don't, I just want to pull out just this, this idea, this thought that he, that he has so much to say about the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. So as, as he presents before us this distinctive, it is, it is the apostle writing by the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit himself when he says in chapter 8, verse 9 of the book of Romans, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. This is the Christian distinctive. If you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, if you have received the faith of God in Jesus Christ our Lord, you have received the gift of the abiding, indwelling presence of God the Holy Spirit. A permanent presence. The Spirit of God. This is not a possibility. This is not a chance. This is not a hope. This is not something that you ask for, that you work for, that you have to uh, please God in order to get. It's not optional. It is the work of God that God grants, gives to every believer in Jesus Christ. Not something that some have and others do not. Everyone who belongs to Christ has received the gift of the Holy Spirit of God. Be assured, this is not, this is not the message that is being preached in other churches in this community this morning. But this is the truth of God's Word. His permanent presence, the permanent presence of God the Holy Spirit is for us a powerful indication of God's love. For the apostle had already written in chapter 5, verse 5, when he said, God's love has been poured into our hearts through this Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It is a fundamental it is the most basic understanding of what it means to love someone is to want to be with them. When you love someone, you want to spend time with them. You love their presence. You love being with them. And so it is that as God loves His children, He loves to be with them. God has poured His love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We've heard it said that absence makes the heart grow fonder. Well, we have the wonderful problem, if you will, that God's love could not be any greater. 
God does not need to absent himself in order to love his children to as great a degree as only God can. The presence of the Holy Spirit of God in every Christian, every believer, everyone who has been forgiven of sins through the blood of Jesus Christ knows the love of God in the presence of His Holy Spirit. And we know, we know, believers in Christ know that we are God's children. We, are, we know that we are His children and that He loves us because the Holy Spirit tells us, Romans eight sixteen. the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You need to embrace this verse. This is a verse that is, is tremendously encouraging. For in, in affirming that father and son or daughter relationship, fulfilling the intent of Jesus that his followers would be confident that God was continuing in them even after Jesus had ascended. The Holy Spirit bears witness. That is, he, the Holy Spirit states affirmatively that we, that is, those who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and therefore have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. We are children of God because the Holy Spirit says so. And to whom does the Holy Spirit affirmatively make this statement? None other than to our own living spirit. God intends that his children should be confident of his love. He has given us the gift of life. We who were dead in the trespasses and sins and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. If you, like I, before you came to Christ, before Christ called you to repentance, we're walking around, living and breathing, carrying on, kind of living. So how is it? What happened that God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, how is it that he made us alive? I thought I was already alive. 
but no. Dead in our trespasses. We had no spirit, no life in the spirit. And it was by God's mercy and God's grace that he granted to us with Christ a spiritual life. A life a life that is now capable of communion with the Spirit of God. Our own spirit receives the witness of God's Holy Spirit that we are His children and He is our Father and He loves us. Every Christian has the indwelling presence of God the Holy Spirit that bears witness to that Christian's spirit that he or she is a child of God and that God loves them. Certainly, the Holy Spirit is the comforter. For it is recorded in Romans chapter 8, verse 5 and following. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So the question is, where is your mind set? On what will you set your mind? Do you dredge up that which was death to you? Do you dredge up that which was death to you before Christ came into your life? Or will you set your mind on the Spirit of God? The Spirit of God which bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God, wherein there is life and peace. It would appear that an option is set before us here. The possibility of of having your mind off, drifted away. That you would would actually actually have your mind set on what, what it calls the things of the flesh. And again, we live in a world that A world that sets temptation before us continuously. And it would seem that it'd be so so easy, so convenient, so readily available to have our minds drift off on, forgive me, but what's on TV? Or, or, Or what's on the internet? or what other people are saying and doing and thinking. Yeah. And and so there's 
a kind of a call here, kind of, a, kind of an encouragement to set your minds on things of the Spirit, to, to cooperate with the Spirit of God, to work with the Spirit of God. God has not left you alone in this world of temptation and sin, for He has sent the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, the presence of God Himself in your life, that you might set your mind upon Him. Of course, the, the psalmist psalmist said, how did he say it, uh, your word, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Certainly setting your mind on the, on the spirit is to set your mind on the word of God. But certainly understanding that as the spirit of God is present and working in your life, there is an expectation that you would participate in that which God is doing in your life, that you would cooperate with the Spirit of God in your life. And therein is life and peace. And not only life and peace in the comfort of children of God. But as the, the apostle continues in chapter 8, verse 26, as he writes, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Christian brother or sister, do you sometime wonder if your prayers are what they should be? No amens. No, no raised hands. We're going to assume that's all of us. Do you wonder if, if you're praying, if you, if you truly are praying in God's will? Are you praying according to God's will? God, our Father. God, our Father, who loves us, knows that we may come up short sometimes. So He has said that He will cover for us. God loves us. And He sent a helper the Spirit that intercedes for us. He takes those prayers before the Father for which there are no words. Those hurts, those frustrations, 
those fears that exist in our reality, but which we cannot put into words. The Holy Spirit prays for us. And as the Holy Spirit is working in us to grow us in Christian maturity, as the Holy Spirit is working in us that we would grow up in Christ. And by the, by the way, just an aside, that, that in verse 27, when he uses the term saints, that's what he's talking about. Saints are those, those, who, are, those who have been justified and are being sanctified. That's what a saint is. And of course, those who will be glorified. Amen. As the Holy Spirit is working in us to grow in Christian maturity, to be more Christ-like, the Holy Spirit knows how to conform our needs to the will of God. The Holy Spirit knows how to conform those prayers that we cannot voice in a manner which is in accord, consistent with the will of God. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And it is now that we can understand this oh-so-very-popular quote from the book of Romans. It is now that we can understand this quote in context. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For you see, as it is the Holy Spirit that is interceding for us according to the will of God, we who have been called and are being called according to His purpose, we are confident. We are assured. We believe that all things work together for good. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have all things well in hand. To have this confidence, to have this assurance, we must believe that all things that God works according to His will are good. Somebody write that down somewhere. For this is the crux of the problem. This is the bottom line. Can you trust God? Whatever the issue, whatever the problem, whatever the concern, as God is working it out according to His will and in His sovereign will, is God going to work it out for good? Can you believe that? Because when you believe that, when you have that confidence, when you have that assurance, 
and the Holy Spirit of God, therein is life and peace. I want you to put one of them big yellow smiley faces up on the screen here. I didn't think Ben would let me. Do you hear that? Understanding that verse. Understanding that the Holy Spirit of God is always, always, ever permanently at work in the life of the children of God, according to the will of God, and that it's good. Therein is life and peace. We are told that this child of God will, like the Son of God, experience suffering in this life. Verse 17 of chapter 8, If children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. God's Word assures us that just as Jesus received glory after suffering, so shall the children of God be glorified. The Apostle illustrates this, inspired by the Spirit of God. He illustrates this by the, in, in, in uh, chapter 8, verse 18 and following. He illustrates this by the plight of creation under the curse. The curse that has been imposed by God because of the sins of man. That the, 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 that the creation is suffering because God, God has imposed this curse upon it. Because sinful man, Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve had both decided to be disobedient, wanted to be their own gods. They had to leave the garden. They were no longer no longer worthy of the beauty of the creation that God had created for them. And there was a curse put upon the creation. I thought and thought and thought how to, how to talk about the curse. And then I woke up this morning with a headache and watery eyes and a sore throat and a runny nose. And I said, Curses! How can anything so beautiful as the beauty of the glory of God's creation in spring be so accursed? Oh well, I couldn't think of any illustration. So the Apostle says that while creation suffers under this curse, it's not a permanent curse, but rather as God imposed this curse upon his creation, he did so with hope. Hope that creation will be restored to its former glory for those God has made worthy. So that, that illustration of 
of creation under the curse is, is the preamble to the assurance that is ours in verse 23. For he says, not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Now you have to, you have, to have, have understood the, the, the indwelling, abiding presence of God Himself in God the Holy Spirit. To understand what it means to have the first fruits of the Spirit, for the first fruits are a, an agricultural term, a farming term. It talks about that which, which comes in the harvest first. And the first fruits out of the harvest are that, that which are indicative of the bounty and the form, that is the form and the quality of the harvest. The first fruits show just how good the harvest is going to be. They are the evidence and the guarantee of a good harvest. So how does the first fruits of the Spirit lead us to that confident assurance, the redemption of our bodies? It is the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit imparting life and peace that is the guarantee that as there is life and peace with God today, there is life and peace with God in eternity. Peace to live in His presence, to live in the presence of God whose wrath has burned hot against the sins of man, Peace in the presence of a righteous and holy God. Without sin, without fear, without the consequences of sin, without death. The presence of God with us now. The presence of God with us today. The abiding, continuing presence of God the Holy Spirit as the first fruits is the guaranteed status of eternity, of life and peace. Thank you, Father. The indwelling presence of God the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that those whom God has adopted will ultimately, in God's own time, be at home with Him in glorified bodies. We are children of God. We have been adopted by our Heavenly Father. We've been taken out of the orphanage but we're not home yet. But God is traveling with us. God is walking with us in our journey home. 
I thought about that movie, Annie. <coughs> and when I talked about it Thursday night, <coughs> the boys had never heard of it. But it's such a, it's such a good orphanage movie. Uh, when Annie gets adopted out of the orphanage, she, she's taken to the, the, the fellow that's adopted her's mansion. And there they, they put her in a bathtub full of, full of uh, suds, bubble bath, and, uh, and they get her, wash her hair, and they go, and then she gets in, they give her all new clothes and new shoes, and, and, and she is just awed and awestruck. It, it's a pretty good illustration what it means to be adopted by our Heavenly Father. We've been adopted, but we're not home yet. But God is walking with us. Let us then set our minds on things of the Spirit, that we walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Living in peace with our loving Father, whoever has communion with us, in the spirit. This was Jesus's desire for his followers, a desire he has fulfilled, sending the parakletos, the helper, the advocate, the comforter, who gives life and peace and hope. Amen.